news at last. Good news at last. I don't think there's a shortage of news. We get lots of news every day. Sorry, Sass. We get lots of news every day. I don't know if you guys have clicked on recently, but the news out of Hong Kong and China is not good. People lying uh, prone to the latest virus coming through. And, and when, we, when we want news, it's easy to get. It's good news that we struggle to get. There's some news um, outlets and radio stations that try to tell us, tune in to us. We have got the good news in the mother city. Uh, but something inside of us sometimes goes, oh, man, you guys have to try so hard to get good news, right? Because the reality is so tough out there. What I'd like to make a case for is that in the next five weeks, let's not just look for news. Let's look for, for good news. And let's start with the towering figure of history. Let's start with the person of Jesus Christ. And right, right, right now, you've visited and you say, no, Paul, that's the last place I would look for good news, right? If I just go online, if I look at hate uh, speech, if I look at um, persecution, if I look at just damaging things in the world, it's often associated with Jesus Christ. And I, I wouldn't necessarily think, oh, good news, let me run to Jesus Christ. And, I, and there's some valid concerns that you express when you say that. But I also would love you to just transcend your maybe individual views right now and just think, if you had to look throughout all of history at who's had the biggest influence, who came with a message of peace, who came with a message of good news, I think you'd find it hard to exclude Jesus Christ from your search. I want to show you quickly the latest stats out of 2020 of world religions. There's a slide here that appears, um, and uh, it might be a little small, but let's have a look uh, at what we see there. You'll see Christianity Currently, estimated at 2.5 billion, 32% of the world's population, the number of countries, 235. And all of this is just to say, not that the majority rules or that the majority is right, but just to say that there's something worth investigating here. This isn't just good news at last. This is good news that lasts. I mean, we're 2,000 years from a small rabbi out of Jerusalem, out of Judaism, exploding onto the world scene with a new message, with good news, that has subsequently grown, not just in one area with one nation, but across the world, across nations, transcending cultures, and has left a massive mark on the world. And so, like I say, the majority is not always right. It doesn't prove anything, but it certainly would help us slow down to say, maybe there is good news that I've missed in the life of Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a book, one of four, written about his life, and we're going to study what Mark had to say. We've got two introductory messages. I'm this week. Drew's going to be up with us next week. But let's start Mark chapter 1, one of the four books about Jesus' life. What was the good news he spoke about? Let's read about it together from verse 1. Yeah, this is not working. So let's read uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he 
who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God for his word to us today. It is two parts to this message, not terribly original. First part is good news. Second part, at last. Should be memorable, right? What is the good news? It's really straight at us in the first verse. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Paul starts with that word gospel. He's, he's expropriated it from the culture around him. He's writing this at a time where the Romans rule Jerusalem. The Romans rule the known world. They've conquered the Greeks. And anyone who's you know, read Asterix and Oblix, I'm afraid to disillusion you, Gaul was defeated, right? They, 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 were, they ruled everything, right? And the word gospel was a well-known word that was used of an historic event that had taken place. So if Caesar had conquered someone, they would say, ah, oh, here is the gospel of Julius Caesar regarding the conquering of these people or the birth of a child. And so a herald would appear and would announce the gospel of an historic event, something that happened. And Mark said, you know what? That's exactly what's happened here. There's an historic event which changes everything that I want people to know about. And so he takes that word. It means the good news of something of importance that has happened. And he slaps it right at the beginning of his book. He says, this is what the book is all about. Mark is therefore saying, I'm writing about something incredibly important. And you know what? He then tells you the punchline. He tells you straight away what that good news is because he uses the word Christ and he uses the word uh, Son of God. And what he's saying right now when he speaks about the way of the Lord later is the good news is about a Messiah who's come, a, a rescuer who's come, a redeemer, someone who's paid all our debts has come. And so he's writing about good news, and he straight away in the first line gives away the punchline. He's, he's spoiler alerted this thing right through and through. He's just gone, uh, here it is. Here's the punchline right away in verse 1. A, a, a Christ was a code name for a Messiah, someone who's going to set them free. People had different views of what that would look like. Was that, is that going to be free from the Romans? Is that going to be free from um, a slavery and oppression? What does that mean? But they knew that was a big deal. Son of God was something that had been referred to throughout the Old Testament. The way of the Lord spoke about uh, the, the Creator coming in fresh ways. And you'll notice also a bit later, he said that I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, that there would be uh, a presence of God, a Spirit of God that would be available to all people. And so right away, what Mark's doing in verse 1 is he's introducing us to the theme that is going to run throughout the book. I was trying to think of an analogy, and those of you that love your opera, this is an analogy that I'm borrowing from someone else, because I don't know anything about opera. But an opera starts with something called an overture, which essentially is a little piece of music that then is referred to again and again throughout the opera. It's kind of like what gets threaded through. I was sometimes thinking of a comedian. A comedian drops a joke or a line, and then for the rest of the set, we'll sometimes refer back to that joke. And you kind of go, oh, remember, that's, that's like a little recall, and it kind of loops back. And so Mark is saying, here's, here's what you need to know, and it's going to keep coming back for the rest of the book, that there is a Messiah, that there is a Son of God. Now, perhaps like me, you've, you've accepted that there's news attached here. Yeah, Jesus Christ was a big deal in history. He's, he's, he's at the top of that table I just showed. What about the bit that it's good news? I mean, it's news, but is it good news? Because there's something inside of us that says, well, if God does come to this world, is that necessarily good news? What makes it good? What makes it exciting? What, what Mark's trying to make clear is that as you study the announcement that I'm going to give you, 
you are going to see that it's more than just news. You're going to see that it is good news. I think often we receive the news that God's going to come, and we go, well, I don't know what that's like, because we don't know what God's like. If God's a grouchy person who's temperamental and upset, then this is not necessarily good news that God's going to be close, that God's going to pour His Spirit out. We, we don't know what the income's, outcome's going to be. But if we study the book over the next few weeks and months, and as we get to see who this God is, we'll start to see our lives changed as we notice it isn't just news, it is good news. And it's not just good advice that becomes a burden on our shoulders. It's good news that sets us free. This is a God recognizing that each and every one of us have fallen out of relationship with Him, have walked away from relationship with Him, and He's coming to restore us. He's coming to bring us home. He's coming to adopt us into His family. And so without giving too much away for the next eight chapters as we study them, Mark is going to reinforce that first line he gave around this is Christ, the, Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God. He's going to make the case for eight chapters all the way through. And as he's made that case, and as he's pretty sure everyone's got it, it pivots in chapter eight. And for the rest of the book of Mark, he says, but I'm not like the Messiah you thought I'd be. I'm actually going to go to a cross. I'm going to get defeated. I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again for your sins. And so that's how the book of Mark lays out. And so we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Mark, so I thought I'd quickly fly through some context. What is the book of Mark all about? I said it's one of four books. It's the one that was written first. You'll see Matthew and Luke actually refer to it quite a bit as well. What's interesting about the book of Mark is that John Mark, who wrote the book, was almost a personal assistant, a right-hand man to Peter. Peter, one of the first kind of people to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, had John Mark as his, I don't want to say sidekick, but certainly as someone who was helpful. And so what you'll see is that in the book of Mark, Peter is mentioned more than any of the other Gospels. So it's almost like Peter's sitting down with John Mark saying, this happened, and then that happened, and then that happened. It's an action-orientated book. The word immediately appears 40 times in the book. And what they're doing is there's probably mid AD 50s or AD 60s, and they're probably writing to Christ followers in Rome, in the center of the Roman Empire, and they're making the case that this is who Jesus is, and he's worth following. It's historic good news that, that needs to be understood by you. And it's Peter telling John Mark over and over again about what it means. I love little historical details, like, I don't know if you've heard this one, but Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas is about to betray him, and Peter rises up. We know because Matthew Mark and John all say that he took a sword and he cut the Roman soldier's ear off. And then Jesus kind of picks the ear up or just sorts it out and he heals the soldier. And he says, no, 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 this isn't how my kingdom comes, Peter. It's not how my kingdom comes. Now, when we read in the book of Mark, the exact same incident, you know how it's recorded in the book of Mark. He says, and then a disciple cut the ear of the soldier. Peter's like, let's not get into the details here, my man. I mean, I'm still in Rome. We don't want words to get out. But then at the exact same time, he speaks about how he denies Christ three times. And so it's not an airbrushed account. It's very practical. He's saying, uh, you know, let's not give the cut to the old, but I must acknowledge that I was the one that denied Christ three times. And I, I don't want to whitewash the importance of that, that even though I did that, he still came to me and loved me. What is the amazing theme of the book of Mark? I'm going to read from the ESV uh, Study Bible. It says this, and it's important for us to read this because this is what Peter and Mark were trying to capture when they wrote this book. The ultimate purpose and theme of Mark's gospel is to present and defend Jesus' universal call to discipleship, that call to follow me, follow me, follow me. Mark returns often to this theme, categorizing his made audience as either followers or opponents of Jesus. Those are the two categories, followers or opponents of Jesus. Mark presents and supports this call to discipleship by narrating the identity and teaching of Jesus. 
for Mark. Discipleship is essentially a relationship with Jesus, not merely following a certain code of conduct. Fellowship with Jesus marks the heart of the disciple's life, and this fellowship includes trusting Jesus, confessing him, observing his conduct, following his teaching, and being shaped by relationship with him. Discipleship also means being prepared to face the kind of rejection that Jesus faced. Why are we studying this book for 2020? It's because we want to make Jesus the focus. We, as a congregation, are saying we want not just to get older this year, but we want, to, we want to mature this year. One of the ways we mature is by focusing on these three goals. We've made them the focus for January, and we're going to continue. So we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus would do if he was us living in this particular city. We want to practice the way of Jesus together. What's also lovely about this book is it's written to Romans, so it needs to explain the Jewish customs. It kind of takes us into the meaning behind things so that we can connect the dots between what would have been understood at that time and how it applies to us today. And also very practically, what's lovely about the book of Mark is it's the shortest of the four Gospels. How do we do this practically? I want to remind us of just quickly of the diagram we looked at for most of January and what intentional spiritual formation looks like. We've got an opportunity to daily open up God's Word, and we've got that 30-day devotional, which uh, Joe already highlighted. We'll message out to those of you the cell phone number, the uh, PDF, so that you can follow along electronically, but for some of you that want the tangible version, you can grab it. And how important it is to grab that and to allow the practice of spending time in God's Word and the teaching of Jesus to wash over our lives. We want to gather as a community on Sundays and in life groups with people who know us and love us, and we want to invite the Holy Spirit to change us as we as we make it our goal to mature in Christ. Can I also tell you that all of this is premised on our deep desire to change this year? Do you know that growing in maturity means that the immature stuff needs to come out of us and greater maturity needs to be developed in us? You'll see at the bottom of the diagram there's, there's this truth that often it's through hard knocks in life that we mature the most. I think that's because all the superfluous things, all the trivial things get dropped off our life and we go, what actually is that bedrock importance? What sits as first principle, first truth? What am I going to base my life on? But we don't have to wait for the hard knocks of life. We can take an opportunity now to say, Jesus, I'm exploring you, I'm following you, and I want to take the next step in understanding how I'm made in your image and how I can become more like you. Maybe you've heard the phrase that God is not into behavior modification. And I agree with that phrase when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the good news. This is not good advice. This is good news that Jesus Christ has made relationship with God possible. He's our substitute. He, 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 he allows us to gain access into God's love, return as exiles home. But he doesn't leave us in that place. God is very much into behavior modification. When we are behaving ourselves into slavery, when we're behaving ourselves into a mess, God loves us too much to let us do that. And he draws us to himself and he says, I want to change you by my spirit. And that's why it's at the center of that diagram. I want to change you. So if you're sitting here today and you've recognized in your life a pattern of selfishness, of self-centeredness, riding over all kinds of relationships, I've got good news for you. You can change. God is at work in this community and you can change. He is into behavior modification. If you're sitting here today very angry, you hide it well, you know, you below the level, you know, surface, you can't, but below the level, you're an angry person. Good news. If you're anxious, you struggle to sleep, if you have anxiety, if you're lonely, if you're full of regret, the good news is that God is into changing us 
And by his spirit, we trust that that'll happen. Dallas Willard, a great teacher, a Christ fallen lecturer, said this, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are by profession, or there should be a slide, sorry, with this quote on, start, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. You might be sitting here today saying, Paul, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but this isn't my thing. Maybe you're going to say the following things to me. Say, Paul, I think it's great for you, but I'm not convinced. I think it might just be a myth. As I read Mark and I look at the accounts, I'm, I'm still skeptical. I believe that it might just be a myth. I want to push against that particular way of thinking. Uh, there should be a next slide. Next. Um, I want to push against that kind of thinking because of all the things that we know for sure, Jesus Christ is one of the most historically attested figures. See, the debate isn't that there was news about Jesus Christ. The debate is really around the word good. Was it good news or was it largely irrelevant? Do the research around the historical claims in Mark and, 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 and t- kick the tires because it's more than just myth. The second thing you might say to me is, Paul, uh, studying is not my thing. You know, like you're getting into the history here and I'm going to have to study a book that isn't my vibe. Can I just take a step back and think about any other relationship you've had in your life? When you are, when you are wanting to be in a relationship with someone and you find out about them and you find out about things they like, what happens inside of you? Suddenly you, you change, right? You're like, hey, they're into that. I'll get into that. I'll read that poem or I'll watch that movie or I'll, I'll study that thing because I, I want to understand this person and I want to see this relationship grow. And so on this side, you might say, but Paul, this isn't who I am. My, my encouragement to you is that as God goes to work in your life, the desires of your life change and you might find yourself doing all kinds of things that you would never have before. You become what you love. And then finally, you might say to me, but Paul, I truthfully came here this morning for a top-up. A top-up. I didn't want a full-blown renovation here. It's like you come to buy your 30 rand airtime, but you don't want to change your contract. You know, I'm happy with my contract. Like, life is largely okay, but I just want a top-up of data or something. And truthfully, I can't push against this one. I think if this is how you truly feel, this is not the right place to be because Jesus Christ doesn't do top-ups. It, it's just not possible. C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, Christianity is false is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. This is either good news or it is completely irrelevant. But there isn't a middle category. And that's why Mark, throughout this book, is going to be saying, you're either with him or you're against him. You're either following him or you're opposing him. Because this is either good news or it's not. Where do you sit? Do you see it as good news? Do you just see it as news? That's a journey we're going to explore together. But there's a second part, which is the at last, the at last part. When do you say the words at last? When do you say the words at last? It's pretty much when you've been waiting for a long time, right? There's normally a bit of sarcasm there. At last, you know? Uh, we had an experience. We went away for a lovely weekend, but we left our charges. I don't know if you've ever done this before. You leave your charges behind. You're like, these things are expensive. Go look online. It's like, oh, my goodness. Um, and so we had them sent to us via PEP couriers. And uh, I found myself in PEP waiting and I thought, I'm surely there's a courier queue, like there's a shorter queue here. And I was like wanting to do the whole like jump the queue thing. The reason, the reason was quite simple. It was the day before school started. And let me tell you what PEP the day before school started looks like. It is, it is hectic and there's a long queue. But eventually I say, no, Paul, calm down. Don't be privileged. 
go to the back of the queue and stand. And so I did. And I stood. And I stood. And I thought, God, what are you trying to say to me as I say, yeah, let me, let me have a look at what's happening. And I saw the most amazing thing as I waited. This lady had been shopping, and she was using the courier sh- service, and she was shoving it full of school uniforms and prits and a big thing of Vaseline, and she was sealing it, and she was obviously going to send that up country to some little kid. And I'm just thinking, what an amazing thing to witness. It was like, oh, my goodness, like this is love in action, like someone sending this kind of care package. I just pictured some kid on the other side receiving this thing, going absolutely bananas at like all this cool stuff they were going to get. And I remember thinking, that was a weight that was worthwhile. Like, literally, that fed my soul, just seeing such obvious love poured out. That was, that was worth the weight. But there are other weights that are not worth it, right? There's some incredibly sad weights, waiting where nothing ever happens. My mother used to do a lot of work into different um, organizations, looking at structures and job gradings. She told the saddest story to me, and I'm going to share it with you. Um, and it was around a, a bread delivery man. And he would wake up at three in the morning, more or less, and he'd collect up the bread and he would go and deliver it around the Western Cape. And she interviewed him about his job. Hard hours. He had to be there on time. The bread had to make the deliveries. And speaking to him, said, you know, what are you hoping for? And he said, well, I've been doing my job really well for quite a few years now. And so I'm anticipating a job uh, raise. I'm, I'm anticipating to get out of this because it's really hard on my family, but I'm, I'm waiting for the job raise. And she went and chatted to his boss and said, so tell me about this. How does promotion work? How do you see people developed? And the manager said, no, 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 no. If I find a good person, there's no ways I'm promoting them. It's impossible to replace them, to find reliable people that wake up so early. No, no, no. If you find a good person, you just keep them there. You don't, you don't promote them. And she just had these two contrasting stories, these tragic stories of someone waiting, 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 and someone else going, no, 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 no. He makes my life so good. I don't want to promote him. So it's a practical tip for anyone in business here. If you have an outperforming division, that's doing incredibly well. But every time you ask that manager about the people and they go, no, they're not ready yet. No, these people, you know, I work miracles, but they're not that good. As soon as you hear that story, trust me, there's more to it than that. There might be someone trying to make their life easier for themselves. As Dallas Willard said earlier, in this world of such tragedy, where there's such brokenness, where we're so looking for what's good for us rather than what's good for others, what we need to do is we need to to break in with with the wisdom of God to see people set free from these kind of circumstances and to not make it one of the saddest things, which is to be waiting for something that never happens. So where are we now when we're looking at the book of Mark? They've been waiting for Messiah for over 400 years. That's when the last Old Testament book was written, Malachi written. They've been waiting for 400 years. They're saying, what kind of wait is this? Is this like the pep wait where you're delighted at the end, like, oh my gosh? Or is it like the other kind of wait where you're waiting for something that'll actually never happen? Which kind of weight is it? And what Mark wants to do is connect us to the fact that what's happening here is something that has been promised for ages. If you look right at the beginning of the verse, it says the beginning of the gospel. That's a clear reference to Genesis 1, which starts with in the beginning. What he's saying is, guys, this isn't as in the beginning, as in ignore anything that's gone before. He's purposely connecting it back to in the beginning to show us it's the same God working with his people, connecting us to himself. He then refers to um, Isaiah the prophet. He makes that clear connection to say, you can go and read it. You can go and read about a messenger who was going to come before the, the Lord. And this messenger was going to be powerful, and he was going to make straight the paths. He was going to make access to God uh, available. And you notice, we might hear about straight paths today and think, oh, that's cool. I know straight paths. I've been to the Karoo. But in this time 
of history without dynamite, a straight path was a terribly hard thing to achieve. A straight path meant that you'd have to go through all kinds of geographic features. No, no, no. What generally happened is as you hit some feature, you just bend it around it. You kind of made your way around it. It wasn't worth it making a straight path. What Isaiah is speaking about here is that, no, there's something here that is so powerful that it's going to make a straight path. It's going to make relationship with God possible again. And then Mark clearly connects. Who is it that Isaiah was speaking about? This powerful messenger who is going to be able to make straight paths? Well, that messenger is John the baptizer, the cousin of Jesus. And he introduces him there in the next verse. And I feel for the guy. What words, John Mark? I mean, this is Peter. Peter's going again, hey, he's clothed with camel hair, wears a leather belt around his waist, eats locusts and wild honey. I mean, he, he, he's someone who is described as kind of one of the greats of the New Testament, someone who, who, who stood for Jesus. There could have been a lot of other ways that he was described. I thought it was a Cape Tonian. I might say, like, he goes viral in the region. Do you notice that everyone's coming to him? Uh, he's got some kind of organic cleansing water ritual. He eats natural honey. I mean, there's all ways we can try and make him slightly more appropriate to a Cape Tonian context. But let's get through who he was. Let's look at what he was doing. He was an alarm that was going off to tell the world that God was about to arrive. He was an alarm going off to tell the world that God was about to arrive. You'll notice what's happening is, is there is a reference, um, going back uh, to the slide before, around a wilderness. I'm going to spend a bit of time here. You notice John is in the wilderness, and he's baptizing with water. And he's telling them that something is going to happen. What are all the references here? The people of the time would have known. We used to also wander in the wilderness. They would have known that they were once in slavery in Egypt. They once were, were lost. They were, they, were, they, they were enslaved by Pharaoh. And God led them out. And he led them through the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. They went through the waters that covered up the, um, the Egyptian army, but led them into the wilderness. And they got to enjoy God's freedom and God's presence. And so what Mark is doing and what John is doing is they're referring back to that moment saying, guys, remember when we were brought out of our slavery? Remember when we experienced freedom? That is what is busy happening at this moment. A wilderness wandering, but a God who's with them and a baptism that would cleanse them and set them free. Next week when Drew's chatting, he's going to show Jesus once again coming and using the same metaphors, being baptized, then going out into the wilderness to face temptation, connecting clearly to God's working throughout history. The big announcement of all of this is the wait is over. The wait is over. God has come to set us free. History is going to change forever. And hasn't this been exactly the case? What would have been such a, such a tiny message, seemingly, of one person out in a desert has grown to billions around the world of different cultures and creeds. The wait is over. This isn't just good news at last. This is good news that lasts for centuries. Some final uh, thoughts. Firstly, the good news of Jesus Christ is either of infinite importance or no importance. C.S. Lewis's quote to us. Over and over again, we, we're confronted with the truth. This can't be moderately important. This historic event has taken place. The debate is whether it's good news or not. It's either infinitely important or it is of no importance. Secondly, it's possible to hear the good news but not change at all. It's possible to kind of just hear it as good advice perhaps and try really hard to change and then pretty much not change because you're not inviting God's presence into your life. This is exactly what happened with Jesus. You can go read about it in Matthew 20 or 21. He's approached by a bunch of people and they say to him, Jesus, where do you get your authority from? 
And he says to him, well, okay, before I answer, I want to ask you about John the Baptist. Remember him? He was out in the wilderness baptizing people. Where did he get his authority from? And these guys were a little stumped. They were like, oh, we got a problem here. If we say John you know, didn't have authority, the people will be very upset with us because they really thought he was an amazing, amazing teacher. But if we say we did have authority, then we're in trouble because we should be listening to John. And what did John say? He said, I am not even worthy of untying the straps of this one who was going to come. John said, I'm not, I'm not the, 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 the final picture here. I'm just a messenger. And so Jesus says to them, well, tell me what you made about John. And they kind of go, oh, no, we, we can't answer your question. We don't know the authority John had. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, you know about John. You heard the news, but you haven't responded to it. You haven't allowed it to change you. And you sit in judgment over others when the message is plain to you and the message is one which you need to accept. Don't, don't try and audit everyone else's lives and everyone else's beliefs. Where are you at with me and have you accepted the good news and based your life on it? And final thought around good news at last is that the Holy Spirit of God helps us to experience good news at last. And many things that give me joy in life, and one of the greatest is that God is the one who makes the path straight. Infinite soul. You have got an infinite strand. You long to see every single travel destination in the world. You long to eat at every Cape Tonian restaurant. You long. And the reality is, because you have an infinite soul, none of those things will fill you up. You need an infinite God who has come to declare his presence and to be with us and to pour out his spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that we now turn to and who we invite into our midst as we have juice and some uh, bread at the front. The invitation is to go and take a, um, a cracker and to take some juice. I'm going to lead us in a time of response. If you are not a Christ follower, feel no pressure. But for those of us who, who we call ourselves apprentices of Jesus, this is an opportunity we get to celebrate what he has done for us. So I'm going to invite you to please come take, and then I'll pray for us. So please don't uh, eat or drink until uh, I lead us in a prayer. So come to the front or at the back or the sides, and we'll respond together.